0: quick before we get the show started, I want to share with you something that we're really excited about. Mike and I launched Principles of Program Design just about two years ago, and since then, we've been working really hard on building more and more content, and we're finally ready to release some of that great new stuff. We're having an updated version of our original online foundations course where we've added three new bonus chapters. We've also updated our live course, and we're going to be doing that in April at Skill of Strength, in Massachusetts. We also have three brand new online courses, including our exercise coach course, where we teach you our belt system of how we progress and regress and coach exercises, as well as group mastery, where Mike shares his systems for how he implements his successful group fitness training programs up at Skill of Strength, as well as something called Primed, where we teach you about programming warmups And then in addition to that, we're also launching a virtual mentorship where we're going to work hands-on with a select handful of coaches and trainers working with you every week on how to develop the best systems and programs to build a successful career. And then in addition to that, we're putting together a free ebook as well as a supporting webinar where we're going to give you our top 10 tips to a successful career in the fitness industry. We're going to share with you our secrets and our systems that we use that have helped us open up our facilities, as well as speak around the world and work with some of the best athletes uh, out there. And so to get more information on all of this, go to principleswebinar.com, and you can find out about all the new and exciting stuff. Now let's get ready to get started with the show. And away we go. Here we are with the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry, and we are at episode number 63, Mr. Perry.
1: 63? Holy cow, that's a lot. Um, Wow, that many, but we've got a doozy for today. Um, This is a good buddy of mine, and uh, I've known Mike for for quite some time, and I'm excited because Mike's going to share a ton of information on how he's He's being successful in the industry, but he's he's doing it a little bit of a a different way. So we are excited to have Mike here, but I'm going to let you finish up with his official bio because it sounds way cooler than me just making stuff up.
0: Yeah. And plus, if I let you two go, it's two old boys from Boston. You're going to just talk about Sam Adams and Noma and Tommy and it'll be nothing but just nonsense. He hates Tom. He, he,
1: he doesn't like Tom Brady, dude. This is a whole different uh, discussion. So actually I, <laughs> I like Tom Brady now. I hate Bill
0: Belichick, but we can. Okay. We can. Fair enough. Okay. Right, fair we'll, enough. Circle, we'll, 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 we'll circle back Mike. all right. That's so good. our guest today is uh, Michael Campanella. He was a uh, all New England sprinter in high school and college. And then when Mike gets to college, he realizes his team strength and conditioning program isn't what he hoped it would be. And so he and his co-captain basically rewrite the program uh, while he's at Trinity. And so uh, at the time he's studying, to go to law school and then he's getting ready to take his LSAT. So he gets into the fitness thing. Cause of cause of writing this program and gets a part-time job at, at train Boston. And, and as fate would have it, so does a young Mike Perry, uh, there. work there as well. Exactly. Uh, can't even imagine. Um, and that's where he met Mike and, and he just kind of fell in love with the fitness business and, and much to his parents dismay. Every parent's dream, Mike, is that their kids come to him and say, listen, I'm getting into personal training because right away you're thinking, oh, we're set. We're good. We're good for life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he takes it as a full-time career. And so uh, some other parallels with with Mr. Perry, he also uh, was big in the MMA world. Mike ca- competed uh, and fought 19 times in four years, but kind of got burnt out on that. And so kind of shifted gears and started focusing on working with general population and really focusing even more so on the business side of fitness and trying to grow a model that he's been working on and led to where he is now. Um, and it's a, it's a facility that rents space to private businesses so they can make more money than anywhere else in the industry. And it's kind of a unique model. And That's why I want to talk to him more about it. So, Mike, I'm glad you're on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So let's dive in, right? You, you talk about, you, you know, you kind of have this combined experience as a kind of this underpaid W-2 worker, and then you're also the 1099 contractor who uh, kind of had to run your own business. And then that kind of led you to your, your current business model, which you created. Um, talk a little bit about that and kind of what that model looks like.
2: Yeah. So the evolution was pretty, uh, It was it was bumpy to say the least. So I started as you mentioned, at Train Boston with Mike, and I was there for six months, and a couple of crazy things happened, and everybody left, and Mike went off to start his own facility, which has been phenomenal, and then I went off with a separate group and started our facility, and I was with this group for 10 years, uh, as you alluded to, as a W-2 employee, and I worked 60 to 65 hours a week. It was a really nice facility, but I was doing the typical kind of 50 60 percent goes back to the house uh working my tail off you know i'm, I'm spending extra hours there cleaning organizing etc and uh, i think the most money i ever made there was about ninety-eight thousand dollars for the year and uh that kind of stung especially considering the guy who ran the place kind of subscribed to the work the least make the most so it was a re- really hard it was a hard environment to sort of get motivated Uh, by and uh, it created a lot of resentment. So long story short, 10 years there, went a different path. I ended up renting space as a 1099 contractor for two and a half years. And the first year under this model, only given 20% back to the house, I made $100,000 more in income. And I was just blown away by it. But so the drawback to that model that I've seen historically and in my own personal experience is, most of the time when someone sort of builds a space to rent out to non-employees, um, the space itself leaves a lot to be desired. So the facility wasn't that great. The people were awesome, but the facility was, it was old, it, was, it wasn't it was kept up. And because it was a uh, pay-as-you-go model, the trainers were not consistent. So you'd be in there with your, your clients and you'd be in there with the coaches you see all the time and randomly some new coach would walk in with a client and you would be like, Who's that person? You have no idea who they are. Kind of messes up the flow. They don't know where the equipment goes. Uh, next thing you know, you're like you're helping them out during their session, trying to coach your client. Uh, so it, it, it took away from the community feel. And I just remember thinking to myself during that whole process, I wonder if there's a way that I can combine the, the revenue model from the contractor side of things and the really nice facility and the commitment to keeping the facility nice from the kind of W2 employee side of things, and just putting those two together to make the perfect model for the coach. Uh, and that's what I've been trying to do with uh, Health and Fitness.
1: So Mike, um, you know, one of the things that Eric and I talk about a lot of the times when we do some of our webinars and a lot of our other talks is like the the personal training career, it's like, I mean, we've seen so many people come and go like average is what between six and 24 months. Um, What do you think is the difference between, you know, the trainers that make it and the trainers that don't, but um, what do you think was the difference for you? Because I feel like that's something as well, that is going to be super important.
2: Yeah. So I got, I have to go back to what Eric said in my bio and the intro, Um, you know, I went to Trinity college in um, Harvard, Connecticut, a really good NESCAC school. I was studying to go to law school. Uh, That was kind of the dream. And I will never forget going to my parents and telling them that I was going to go as a personal trainer and just watching the tears stream down my mom's face. And it broke my heart. But I think for me anyways, I genuinely love my job and I genuinely love the industry. And I have a real passion for A, health and fitness, but B, helping individuals on a personal level i say to the coaches who work at my facilities all the time i'm like on our worst days we've helped 10 people feel better you you know you, you get into a rut uh sometimes it feels like groundhog day uh you can get bored and it can get stale but at the end of the day every single day unless you drop a dumbbell on somebody's head which happens but luckily not to me um you're always making somebody feel better when they left and when they came. And I find real value in that. And I think that's what separates the the long-term trainers from the transient trainers. So the the, the coaches who are in it for five, 10, 15 years are, are the coaches I think who really buy into the the industry itself and they love helping people versus, you know, the coaches you see who come in six months a year, two years, a lot of them are doing it as a side hustle or fitness is like a hobby to them. They really like working out, so they want to get paid to help other people work out, but they don't really know why they're doing it outside of that. Uh, that That's kind of the the biggest separator I've seen in terms of the long-term versus the short-term.
0: So that latter trainer you're talking about, we talk about in our webinar how they get sucked in by trainer math, right? They start seeing, okay, well, I like fitness, and I could charge 75 I could charge $90 an hour, and if I work 40 hours a week, And I multiply that times that much per hour. And then I multiply that times 52 weeks a year. Wow. I'm going to make 150 grand just doing teaching people at exercise, but we explain it. It doesn't work out that way often. So explain why that falls way short of expectations and how that's usually a a huge pitfall that, that early trainers fall into. Yeah.
2: I mean, if you're, if you're motivated by just revenue, you're, you're, you're not in the right industry. I think Uh, just from like a, Uh, calendar standpoint, clients go on vacation, clients who can afford personal training and have that disposable income. They have houses in in other locations. They go on long vacations, clients get sick, clients get injured. So you could have one week, you could have 30 to 35 sessions. And then the next week you have 15. And then in the summer you have 10, but in the spring you've got 40. So uh, always chasing that dollar can be risky. And it also puts a lot of pressure, I think, on the coach to look at it. In such a small scale, kind of not seeing the forest through the trees and not realizing that it's gonna take you one to three years to really build up a book that's gonna be consistent and it's gonna be able to keep you safe when clients go on vacation and they go on or they get sick or get injured. Um, I always tell these guys to try to have more clients than they have hours and, and build up a queue of, train, of other clients so that you can fill in those spots at certain times. Uh, but, but again, I think chasing the dollar and trying to do that trainer math, it just, it's not rational. It doesn't work out in the long run and it it just puts too much, too much pressure on you.
0: Now, the other problem with that is on the flip side is that mentality on the client side will get you in trouble too, Mm because if they see it as, Oh, I'm paying $75 for this hour oh, well, you went, you went to the bathroom. Well, that's a minute. Like, do I get, do I get a dollar off? Like you went and blew your nose. You know what I mean? Like it's this mentality that I'm training you. I'm training my time, which you really are, but you're really training my expertise. So if I get you there in 40 minutes, instead of the 45 minutes that are allotted, like that shouldn't matter, but that's a really tough thing to sell because it's always been this x per hour type of mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's
2: a, that's a very important distinction too. uh, selling your expertise versus selling minutes. And it it also takes you a while to get there as a coach to convince your clients that you are selling expertise and not minutes. So when you do get to that 1024, but the session ends at 1030 and you and you give the old knuckles and the client's like, wait a minute, we have six minutes left. When you've done it long enough, they know that they're done and they know that it's time to cool down versus to your point, you know, selling the 60 minute
0: start to finish Yeah. I mean, if, if right now you call an electrician, a plumber or whoever to your house and it's X amount for the call, if they get it done in two minutes, they win, right? They, they You're paying for their expertise because I don't right. know how to do that. Just no right. different than you don't know how to get yourself from point A to point B. That's why you're hiring me. So I think positioning ourselves as that, you know, I, I don't go to my accountant and say, you know, it only took you four hours to do my return. You should get a little bit less we, we sometimes don't put ourselves on that same professional plane. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, there's so many different business models. And that's one of the things that I think people don't understand is that while there are several different business models, and I would argue Mike that you're sort of, you're kind of combining, you know, one or two, but, um, each business model has a pro and has a con. And I think one of the things that people don't realize about, you know, sort of the, the traditional models. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit is, is, um, you know, again, we've had these traditional models and it's it's been proven to work, but only for a certain period of time. And I think a lot of the times people assume like, I mean, how many times have we heard personal training is dead, right? Yeah. I right. mean, how yeah. many times have we heard that? Like, oh, you know, every business guru that has a, you know, a business page that they're going to sell you said personal training is dead. And it's just like, okay, cool. I know a lot of people that that make a lot of money on, on, on personal training, but I think a lot of the times they... Um, I think they forget about the context and maybe, maybe the math says that personal training is, is done, but uh, you know, that's the whole point of being personal and personal training is, is right. It's not just about X's and O's and sets and reps. It's about the relationship and what you can offer to them. And, and in some ways we're, you know, we're definitely more than just counting reps, but let me ask you this, like, you know, Let's talk about like one-on-one personal training, right? That's what you guys do. Like, why why is that beneficial to, to do something like that versus, uh, you know, a, a smaller group setting or a large group setting? This is, you know, obviously we know, but this is more for, you know, our listeners here.
2: Yep. So, I mean, so for me, the, the one-on-one model, and we do a mix at all of our facilities Uh, my facility that I'm primarily at is a little bit bigger than the other two. So we have the square footage capabilities of doing more semi-private and small group training. I personally am probably at like a 50, 50 mix, but I definitely, I started in the one-to-one and basically, uh, for me, when I got quote unquote too busy and I couldn't add more hours, I just started grouping people together. So it sort of, it sort of transitioned into a semi-private. I, I personally have transitioned away from the, the bigger group training But going back to your original question on the one to one, uh, it was easier for me getting started just to get the reps in a one to one setting. Um, It was easier for me to work on the relationship skills and building the personal trust between one person versus two, three, four people at a time. It was easier for me to cue and watch technique and watch form. Uh, And it was just easier to get clients, you know, getting one, two, three versus, you know, groups of four. Uh, and getting people to kind of buy in and trust me. But, like I said, sort of as I've evolved, a from a revenue standpoint, B from an accessibility standpoint, kind of going more towards a semi-private has made sense. but I, I think for me personally, in my experience, starting in the one to one setting was uh, it was just it was more beneficial to get going and get comfortable and confident and get the reps in.
1: So, all right this is this is where I feel like we're gonna get practical because mm-hmm. every business coach in the world says, "Start off a personal training, and once you get busy, just do you know charge a third and then you can make double, and it's the easiest thing in the world, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 it never ever works like that, um, especially if you're trying to start off like with small group training. So, Mike, can you like like I want to give some people a little dose of reality here, like uh-huh. of, of what it takes to you know, sort of build something, but like, you know, telling someone, well, yeah, why would you charge a hundred when you could charge each person 50 and make 200? It's easy. What are the realities of that? Because Uh I don't think people understand the math makes sense, but in real life, that is one of the hardest things to do ever.
2: Yeah. I mean, so I've been doing this for 15 years. I could, I could do training sessions at this point with my eyes closed for the most part, And I still have semi-private small group sessions where like one guy comes in with a wooden leg. One guy comes in with an eye patch on one guy comes in with a fake arm and they're like, we want to work on core. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like you can't even see where I am in the room. Like how am I going to adapt and do this on the fly? Right. So then if I'm a new coach and I'm starting off with just semi-private or small group training and I'm, and, and I, I don't have the reps. I don't have the confidence. I don't have the experience. And I'm, I'm, um, bringing in these groups of people who all have different fitness levels, experience levels, injury histories, contraindications—you name it—I think it's just it's uh, it's a lot harder to get going that way, and to to feel confident and comfortable about your skills versus that one-on-one setting, in my opinion. And and yeah, you're gonna make less in the short term, but you're gonna make less in the short term anyways. When you get started out as a trainer, you need to understand that you're not gonna make a lot of money for a long time. And you've got to put in a lot of work and figure out your systems and figure out your, your skill set and your, your personality. And then it'll all come together to the point where it kind of runs itself. But in the beginning, I think, A, it's going to be tough, but B, make it as easy as possible. And I think it's that one-on-one setting to start.
0: There's a it's just speaking of being an entrepreneur. There's a great line our Alex Hermosi has where he talks about, you know, you don't want to be stuck in a forty-hour job, so you go be an entrepreneur and go work eighty. Um, <laughs> but so let's let's keep going yeah. on this this semi-private model. And so yeah. for the people that are kind of unaware that what you're talking about is where. You're dividing your time, you're dividing your attention where people are sharing their time and they're sharing your attention at a lesser rate, but they're still getting an individualized program, right? It's not where you've shifted gears yet to group, which we will in a minute. Where everybody's doing the same thing. There's a wad on the board type of deal. This is where everybody's still getting an individualized program, but that takes a lot of hustle. Like you're talking about, like you have to be able to manage. I may have four different people doing four different things at the same time. And I have to split myself in four. Like, not only is that, you need to really be sharp, but it's, it's not easy. It's exhausting to be able to have your energy that you used to pour into one person now spread out amongst three or four. Um. And from my own personal experience, that that is
2: difficult to get clients to buy into that, especially if they are used to that one-on-one experience or they're used to that eyes-on approach, where you'll get your uh your, your typical like, what weight did I do here last week? And I'm like, I've seen seven hundred people since you. Like, I, I I don't know, maybe thirty pounds. Like, but I thought you were keeping track of it. But you know, we'll we'll figure it out. Um, and again, like just in that semi-private setting, it's just hard to. To be able to spend an equal amount of time on each individual and making sure that they're doing the exercises correctly and they're, they're not reinforcing bad movement patterns. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky for sure. But to, to your point, if you can figure it out, when you get those systems going, I think from a revenue standpoint, the
0: semi-private model, it can be very lucrative. It can be successful. I don't want to think people think that we're discouraging it. I mean, Alan Cosgrove and and, and Rachel out at Results Fitness in California were kind of the pioneers on this many many years ago, and uh, and it also, also it, it what it helped do is it helped reframe that concept of you have to do one on one. And and Alan had a great you know perspective on it because he was coming out of cancer treatment. And he said, "Look, I, I go in a room and I'm getting chemotherapy with ten other people. Like they're lethal, they're injecting lethal shit into my body. I think I could give you a glute bridge with two other people in your group mm-hmm. and not kill you, right? Mm-hmm. So that perspective of that everybody's perceptions. You need this one on one training, to get the attention. That's not necessarily true either.
2: Yeah, and I like I'm a huge fan of the hybrid model where you have." Like I tell my clients, I'm like, one day a week, you should see me in a one-on-one setting. And we can go over the questions and the movements that you've had difficulties with in your semi-private and or groups. But then the other two, three, four days, look for that semi-private or look for that group where you can, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle. There's not so much risk. There's not so much attention. Uh, you can kind of get caught up in the camaraderie and the energy and just and kind of kick your own ass in that group setting. And then come back to me for that one-on-one where we can clean up some movement patterns so you're not getting injured in the group setting. I Personally, I think it's more kind of cost effective to the client. I think it mixes it up and it keeps it uh, fresh and motivating for both parties involved.
1: So, um, you know, what about like larger group training, Mike? Um, Have you, like, what has your experience been with working with a little bit larger groups? Do you feel like that can be a, a productive business model as well?
2: And so that's actually how I cut my teeth in the industry. I was doing uh, large groups at Train Boston when I first started. I was doing like the six a.m., nine a.m., and six p.m. That was my, that was my <laughs> original schedule, uh, and I loved it. I mean, I, again, it was tough. I remember shadowing you. I remember shadowing BJ Baker, uh, another buddy and mentor in the industry. Um, so I, I kind of I felt confident enough going into those situations, going into those the groups. I think in the it's funny the semi private to me is almost more stressful than the big group because there's like an expectation in the big group if you're a client you're like yeah hey, it's a big group like I might not know what I'm doing I'll just watch somebody else and we'll figure it out um, so as a coach like you can you obviously you're doing a great job queuing and you're and you're doing your best to make sure everybody's on the same page but but you know that some people are gonna get lost in the shuffle uh, but in terms of the the business side of things you know I think there's a place for it. For me, and our company, we never really have had the space until recently to have a really thriving large group program. Until recently, we opened up our third location in uh, Needham Heights, and our head guy over there, Derek Durkin, is running um, a big boot camp program called Train Full Send, and he is doing a fantastic job with it. Um, and he, but he, that's where he came from. He came from that big boot camp group setting uh whereas the the guy who runs our facility in medfield marius it's a smaller space so they don't do a ton of group training and semi-privates mostly one on one so for me in terms of the the business model it's been almost sort of predicated on the size of the facility uh so we haven't had a ton of experience with it uh, but i do think it definitely has its place in you know business models and facilities around for sure
0: now, Mike, this is obviously your real house because skill of strength is is probably about as good as anybody in the world at this large group fitness thing. But mm-hmm. I think in, in an important part to uh, distinguish for, for trainers that are listening is that the crossover usually when you get to group out of personal training or semi-private models is, is you're not so much providing a a program anymore as you're providing workouts and that's a big difference right and then we always talk about like okay if you're just going to provide workouts well guess what i can get workouts for free on youtube on instagram i can go or even if i am going to go pay somebody You have F45, you have Orange Theory, you have CrossFit, you have all these other things that have way bigger brand recognition, way bigger advertising dollars. They can lose a lot more up front than you can as a personal uh, 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 business owner. So how are you going to compete with them if you're just giving workouts? It's your workout versus their workout there's really not anything that's going to keep people coming to you other than, Oh, you're the flavor of the month. And then they're going to be gone in a month because we've seen a lot of those come and go. So how do you stand out as a group program? And I'll put this out to you as well, Perry, how do you stand out as a group program? If you don't have that brand name recognition and you're going up against all these major corporate conglomerates.
1: Um, You know, one of the things Mike said early on is he's a helper. Right. And uh, you know, and, and I think that if, you know, if you start with why, and we talk about this in our courses, you know, talking about starting with why, when you, when you're working towards developing a business, because, you know, if your why is just simply to make a lot of money, then get out of fitness and go some, someplace else. Cause I don't want you here anyways, but you know, a big part of it is, is simply, you know, starting with, with making sure that your goal is to help a lot of people. And, and I think that's, that's honestly where it starts. And, uh, you know, I think also you have to be creative and you have to be willing to just be tired for a really long time and and work a lot and not sleep as much and like you know Mike is one of the hardest workers I've ever met and I'm a pretty damn hard worker yeah. but Mike's one of those few guys that I'm like this guy's a maniac because he doesn't stop but but that's also the reason why he's successful and 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 if there's one thing I can sort of just say a big part of it is just you know sometimes you just got to outwork people because that might be the only option you have like when we were you know, put our business together and we had the pandemic, it's not like, oh, there's a pandemic, let me refer to the pandemic protocol (laughs) that we wrote in our business plan. It just doesn't happen that way. So I think a big part of it is just, you know, having some decent business sense, but really caring and willing to just get creative and, and do a lot of things that people don't want to do. Like, you know, if you think you're above cleaning the bathroom or going in the dumpster, get into another business, man, because it's just that's the way it is.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and and Mike is the other hardest worker I've ever met, so <laughs> right back at you, buddy. Uh, and I would say, too, I would add on to that uh, with the big group training model and providing workouts versus training programs. It's kind of like the, the the definition of athleticism, where it's like you can't really describe it, but you know it when you see it. I would say the same thing is true for big group training programs you 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 really can't describe it but you know shit programming when you see it you you know like you just know when you're in a in a a setting and you're at a boot camp and you're like man that workout just like wasn't awesome like I might have tweaked my rotator cuff and I I probably burned 2,000 calories because I did 10 minutes of jumping jacks and burpees but like just really wasn't a well thought out program or a well thought out workout. Whereas a, a facility like Mike's, their a group training program. You know, when you're going there for your workout, the workout is awesome. And it could st- it could stand, it could be a standalone training program somewhere else if you wanted to group some of them together. So
0: you just, you just know it when you see it, I think. Hey everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guest every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again. And let's get back to the show. Circling back a little bit, like one of the things that's lacking is a career path. Right. And, and uh, one of the things that you talk about at PAX is, is kind of giving trainers that window to a career path that this isn't a side hustle, that this isn't something this is something you can actually make a career out of. So talk about where that career path and you're giving them a little bit of a unique career path. Cause Mike and I talk mm-hmm. about, there's usually one of three destinations that everybody wants. There's they want to open up their own facility because they think it's glamorous until they realize that they do have to fix the toilet and mop and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, go in at two in the morning when the alarm goes off and all that stuff that oh, yeah. we've all got through as a facility owner, or they want to, Hey, I want to train big name clients. Cause it looks cool to stand next to this athlete or this person on Instagram. Um, Or the third thing is they want to go out and they want to be an industry leader. They want to go out and teach workshops or be on the the stage and perform better, one of those things. But you're giving them a different, unique way that they can actually have a a career. So talk about like the nitty gritty of nuts and bolts of how that looks. It it packs.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of become my passion um, has been the business side of thing and the coach side of things. So one of our kind of taglines at our facility is we put the coaches first. Um, and I joke with everybody that if somebody came to me five years ago and said, do you want to be the CEO of PEX or do you want to be a coach at PEX? It would have been a really hard decision for me to make because of the revenue potential that the coaches have in our, in our company, but also the growth potential. And this is a, this is like a, an often overlooked aspect of the personal training business. And you guys have mentioned it kind of very at the beginning, if you're just chasing the dollar, you're going to burn out and you're going to fail you you need to know what you're going to do 10, 15, 20 years from now. When when you finally get to that 40 sessions a week and you're just like killing yourself, but you're really starting to make some good money, then what? And you know, And you offer the three points. My point to the coaches who come into our facilities is you don't have to take out a half million dollars in debt to open up your own facility. We will open up, we will put the capital up to open up the next facility and you will manage it. And then you'll have... Uh, an equity buy-in path to develop some actual equity in the company and some real ownership in the company. Or you could stay where you are and you could hire a coach to work underneath you, or you could get to this certain level of training and you're now in our profit sharing program. So we're always trying to figure out ways. A, we're trying to enforce to these coaches that they really are business owners. We're just trying to take uh, all the hard stuff out of it. So they're not in the gym at four in the morning, fixing clogged shower drains. Unfortunately, that's, th- that's still me. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll get to a point soon where we, we fix that, but um, I'm trying to take all the the burden of actual like brick and mortar ownership out of it, but still giving them the tools and the growth potential that they need to stay in this industry for a long time and feel like that they, actual, they are actual business owners and they can keep growing without hitting that kind of 40 hour a week ceiling.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, just to point out how rare this is in the industry, I'll, I'll throw myself on the fire for this one, is that when I open up, when people said, oh, you opened up your own facility, I had my own facility here in, in Jersey for 12 years, it's not because I had these great aspirations of being a facility owner and having my name on a building, I didn't even call it, name it after myself, is that there was no place that I wanted to work at. And so I just built it myself, and, but I was by no means equipped to be the business owner. And I just wanted to be really, really good at, the, at developing programs and, 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 and doing what I did. And so I begrudgingly was the owner, right? And that becomes a tough situation. And a lot of us who are put into this situation are, 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 is by default, not by design. And so to have someone who actually appreciates the business side is a very unique thing. And if you have that opportunity to get involved with that as a young trainer, or even as an established trainer, that is something you run towards because I'll even tell you myself, I was a lousy owner. I was just really, really good as a coach and and a leader that I was able to make a successful facility um, that probably could have been a lot more successful from a business perspective had I been more of a business owner. (laughs)
1: All right. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, running a business, I think uh, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they have, well, nine times out of 10, it's a personal trainer, that's a good trainer, and they're full. So they automatically assume that they can transition to being a business owner. And I think that's one of the biggest issues we see. And that's what we see, I would say the majority of the time, because they're like, I'm a good trainer, I work for someone else, I'm busy. Why would I, why would I pay them? Why could I just do it on my own? And then they realize really, really quickly. Oh, it doesn't really, really work that way. And, um, I think people, they don't understand how much business knowledge you actually need to run a successful gym. They just assume, well, if I'm a personal trainer and I can do like 10 packs, 20 packs, 30 packs, and maybe run groups with like a year and a month to month session, that's my business. And it's good. We just sell them. It's like, it it doesn't work like that. It, It really, that's what people think. And, um, how important is it to have multiple skills under the roof of the business? Because I know for me, I'm the creative guy. I'm the guy that does the programs. I can, you know, I can read all the research and put together these crazy programs and lead speak. But if you ask me to put together a spreadsheet or even write my name, forget about it. That's my wife's job. So like, how important is it to have the business part nailed down Mike? Well,
2: so I always go back to, an Eric Cressy quote about uh, being a coach. And I, I believe he said something to the effect of, you know, a lot of people can be a good trainer, but not a lot of people can be great trainers. So there's there's a a, a lot of room to separate yourself from the, the good trainers. And I would say the same thing about the gym business. It's not too difficult to open up a decent gym that can pay the bills and stay open. Uh, it's very difficult to own and operate uh, an excellent facility. And I think it leaves a lot of room to separate yourself from the others. Uh, but to your question, so that part of the reason why I, I work so much and I've had to work so much is because there are so many things that are involved with running a personal training or or a strength and conditioning facility on top of your own programming for your clients and your training your clients and cleaning up after them and doing doing all the stuff that you would do as, as just a personal trainer, which might take 40, 50 hours a week. Then you've got to do the fifteen to twenty hours of admin work, bookkeeping, taxes, uh, bill pay, uh, you name it. And if you if you don't know that going into it, it's it's extremely difficult to play catch up um, after you've kind of gotten into the throes of things. And for me, you know, luckily, knock on wood, um, I've been able to be healthy enough where I can get up at three thirty in the morning every day and do the one to one and a half hours of admin work office work bookkeeping and accounting that needs to be done for the the gym to run successfully then go train my clients then do the emails and the and the workouts and such Um, about a year and a half ago or two years ago i hired a part-time gm bianca who has been a lifesaver Uh, so i've been able to offload a lot of stuff to her but as you guys could probably attest to it's just given me more free time to do other stuff. So now I'm doing more work that I couldn't get to before. Uh, but I think to your point, if you if you have the idea that you can just be a busy trainer and then go and open up your own gym and and somehow all the other stuff takes care of itself, you just do your training and selling your packages and pay the bills. It's just it's uh it's not how it works at all. Uh, and it's you know it's that's why when I talk to coaches, I, I've never tried to dissuade a coach. We've lost two coaches here uh, in the five years we've been open and they've opened up their own facilities. And I've never tried to dissuade a coach from doing that, especially if that's their dream. I've just always tried to be real transparent and upfront with them that it is extremely difficult. And I've shared with, I've shared my books with them. They've, they've seen revenue and expenses and bills and utilities and pandemic stuff like things that and, and things you would never even think of that you are in charge of and have to be in control of if you are the head person you know when like like you guys were talking about earlier when you get the phone call that the water pipe is burst and you're running into the gym at three o'clock in the morning like that's on you and then you have to regroup and rebound and then go do 12 hours of training and then your kid comes home sick with ebola and you're like trying to figure out how you can you know not get whatever uh preschool disease they have so you can still go into work I mean the whole thing it's just it's very tricky and it's tough and uh you know just you have to be realistic about the demands and the hours and you know you've got to be able to get to the point where you can pay people to delegate and take stuff off of your shoulders you know but it's it's
0: really hard (laughs) (laughs) So, so let's keep going with, with false expectations and circle back to, you know, where you started and you started off and as a college athlete. And at that point, you know, when you're rewriting your team's program, do you have aspirations that, Hey, maybe I want to be a team strength coach at some point? Uh, you know, not really, to be honest,
2: I never thought about that. I think for me, and this kind of goes back to, um, so my track and field, career, so to speak, was cut short. I had a ton of injuries, orthopedic injuries, hamstrings, you name it. So I ended up getting into mixed martial arts, excuse me, later in life. And um, I fell in love with it. Um, I started doing jujitsu competitions. I won the golden gloves. I was doing cage fighting, all that kind of stuff. Um, But I sort of burnt out on that. And for me, if I'm not, if I'm not like personally involved in the sport or the team, then it's hard for me to get involved conceptually and or objectively. So like, once I stopped doing jujitsu and mixed martial arts and boxing, I didn't really want to train those those athletes anymore because I wasn't in it, and I couldn't really, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be involved in the discussions because I just didn't really care anymore. And I'm, I don't know, I kind of go back and forth with that. But even with um, you know, doing the strength conditioning for for team sports, like once I stopped sprinting. I didn't really want to be involved in sprinting anymore. And a lot of it too is like, it's not regret, but it's sort of, I get sad thinking about not being able to compete at the level I used to compete at and not being able to overcome the injuries I had. And um, so I kind of, I try to like, I make clean breaks from that stuff. So really long answer to your question is uh, I, I never
0: really thought about getting into the, the team coaching aspect. Because that's another career pathway that I think a lot of people get their hopes up for, especially young trainers. I remember being specifically in college, we had uh, a course, it was careers in exercise science and all the athletic training majors were like, yeah, I want to be a trainer for the Knicks. I want to be a trainer for the Giants. And like, no, you're not. You're going to be taping ankles for the local JV JV girls volleyball team um, for probably $18,000 a year. And so like that false expectation that I'm going to go make six figures and I'm going to get to have the cool gear and polo shirt on the sideline and travel with the team like those jobs are so difficult to get and to get to those points. The people who did get there had to eat so much shit to get there and had to give up so much and travel around the country and get fired and do really lousy internships and, and like those or, things that people just assume that I'm going to get my personal training certificate. And all of a sudden the, the biggest named athletes in the world are going to come train with me. I'm going to post it on Instagram. Like that doesn't happen either. Yeah. And, and also, sorry. Continue. Yeah, no. And Perry, you can chime in on that also.
1: Good, Mike.
2: I was going to say, and also just like, even on like a, a one-on-one pro athlete level for me, like I love doing it. I trained NHL guys, MLS guys, some NFL guys. uh, But I always like, it was so, uh, it made me so anxious because I was always worried that like my program could be a bit off. And I was like really concerned that they would tweak something in my care and it might mess up their performance on the field. And uh, I, I like, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I just, I could never really get too, too comfortable with it. And then, you know, to your point, it's like if you're trying to go the route of actually being on a professional team it's like hey it's super hard to get into super rare and you make like no money working up your way to get there and i've also found too that a lot of those teams and players and personalities they oftentimes they feel like they're doing you a favor like oh you get to train me versus you know so like
0: you just i don't know it it was always tough for me see it's funny because that you say that because you know still working with a decent amount of athletes myself, I actually thrived on that. Mm-hmm. And it was just, there was, this, there was there, I had this weird kind of dichotomy. Like sometimes I'd be, you know, working on somebody, let's say I'm just stretching their calf. And it's like, you know, people would say, Oh, what's it like to work with these people? And it's like, eh, sometimes it's just another calf you're stretching. Right. And then other times you have the realization, like I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm working on somebody's shoulder and I'm, you know, working on their shoulder mobility. It's like, you know what, this arm in my hand is worth tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. If I screw this up and pull too hard, I'm on the cover of the New York post. Like I know, like, and I, th- <laughs> yeah. and, I th- and I thrived under that. I like, wow. I like that. I like the fact that like, and we used to have an, um, uh, a thing that we would do with my staff when I had my facility is we would do a, a little exercise when we had our staff meetings and I'd say, okay, write down whoever your dream client is. Like if you could train anybody in the world, who would it be? And so, you know, people would write down whoever it was. And if you were into training athletes, they might have a certain athlete. And so, and I said, okay, now if that person walked in the door right this second, are you actually ready for that? Can you actually step up to the plate and do that? And on every level, like when they walk in, are they going to see that you left your weights all over the place? And they're going to think, oh, this place isn't the place for me. Or are you eating, you know, tuna out of a tub? or like, are you in a sleeveless shirt? Like, can you even look the part number one? And then can you actually deliver? Can you actually sit down and within the first 10 minutes, they're like, okay, this guy or girl, they, they get it. And so I, I always had that name in my head saying, if this person walks through the door, I'm ready. And so if, if you're thinking of being at that level, that's kind of a good exercise for you to do to think if you, if you can't really be that person, then you're just, it's, it's a pipe dream. It's no different than saying I want to play shortstop for the Yankees. You know what I mean? Like I have nowhere near the ability to do that. So to expect to do that is crazy. So let's go on one more business model here. All right. So pandemic, we brought up a couple different times that made everybody rush to go and do virtual training and online training. Right. And most of it, I actually, you know, joked about it when we were about a month in, I said, most of it is just people doing burpees in their living room. Like this is, garbage. Um, <laughs> but, but there is a capability to really do high level virtual training. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into it now. I have an app. I have everything I can train people around the world. So where do you see that fitting in as a viable business model, even in a hybrid sense? Cause like you said, you have, when you're training people for personal training, especially who have, have some money. I, my clients this morning just got back from a two week bike trip to France, right? So how do you handle having that ability to still work with them when they're not with you and, 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 or incorporate a hybrid model. Yeah. So I, I think my answer to that
2: is twofold. One, the virtual model, the virtual setting sort of reinforced, in my opinion, why people loved the personal aspect of personal training so much. It's like, it was cool for a minute, right? When we were all doing the virtual sessions during the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. And it was awesome that we could still keep and be engaged with our clients but it definitely got to a point for everybody where it was like, man, it's so much better doing this in person. And then when they came back to do it in person, it really clicked with everybody, how personal training is not going anywhere. Uh, there is in, in semi-private and group training. There is something to be said about the the human connection, being in the same room together, training together, hitting PRs together. That, that's hard to replicate anywhere else. That being said, uh, with the virtual training, and the hybrid model, I think it will be able to take our industry to the next level in the sense that when my clients go to their summer homes for three months, I can still see them three days a week. Uh, when my client ha- is, you know, traveling on business, I can still I can be in his pocket when he's at the hotel gym. Uh, and even on my on my end, uh, my my wife is having we're having our second child uh, around Christmas time, so I'm going to take some time off. And I can guarantee you there'll be three or four hours in a day when I'm at home doing nothing and kids are sleeping, I'll pop on the computer and I'll train a client even if they're in the gym and I'm at home. So it adds uh, a lot of, it adds a lot of accessibility and it can keep us engaged even when we can't be in person, which I think
0: is, is fantastic for everybody involved. Where I I see it for myself personally is I kind of have, put myself where the niche that I want to work with is if you need a trainer to get you to work out, I'm not your person, right? Mm -hmm. If you need a trainer just to show you how to work out, then I'm your guy, because there's a certain segment of the population that I work with that they don't necessarily aren't seeking out a personal trainer because they're working out anyway. And they're doing it. They just don't know what they're doing. And they usually don't figure that out until they get broken. And that's when they end up coming to see me. And so I say, okay, well, not only are we going to try to fix whatever issue you have, you know, hip, knee, low back, whatever it is, but we got to show you how to work out properly. So this doesn't happen again. And I don't need to see you three times a week to do that. I'm going to now do an evaluation, do your program. Okay. You're going to do this for a month. And then I'll check back in with you in a month from now. And that's where I think it also has a lot of value because there are a lot of people who, are already exercising. They just need direction, and if we can provide that on a high level, there's a huge market for that. Also, yeah, I totally agree.
1: So, Mike, as we sort of get towards the end here, bud, um, let's say you know there's a brand new coach, and 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 they want to pick your brain, and they they wanted to tell you, hey, hey, Mike, what what would be the best piece of advice you would give me to make or work towards a successful career? And personal training strength
2: and conditioning uh oh, man well generally speaking so i was asked to do i was asked to give a talk at babson to uh, an entrepreneurial class maybe like two years ago and uh because one of my clients was taking a class there and i was like uh you don't want me to do that <laughs> and he was like how come i was like because it'll be two minutes long i'll literally walk on stage and i'll say to everybody find the best company you can find and be the best number two possible. And you'll, (laughs) you'll, you'll be killing it. You'll have so much fun. You'll make a ton of money and you won't have to work a hundred hours a week, every week. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of generally speaking, a piece of advice I think, well, going back to like my original comments at the very beginning, you money aside, you have to figure out if this is what you love doing. You have to you have to figure that out. That is step number one. Do you love helping people? Are you enamored with the health and fitness business? Are you constantly digging into materials and trying to progress your skill set and, and reading up on the research and staying healthy and fit yourself? Uh, if those things are true, you will be able to get past the one or two years where you're working shitty hours and you're and, you know, clients are dropping sweaty dumbbells on the floor and making you get on your hands and knees and clean it and, and put it away. And you won't feel resentful because you, you, you deeply love what you're doing. And, and once you get past that hurdle and you get your systems in place, uh, you know, it's that cliche of love what you're doing and you never work a day in your life. It's like kind of true, I think, in this, in, in this setting. I mean, I, I really thoroughly love my job. I think we have the best job in the world. You know, I'm, I come to work in nice sweatpants and a t-shirt every day, and I chop it up with my friends. You know, it's like, uh, I, I absolutely love it. And I think uh, that would be the number one piece of advice I would give to any coach starting out in this business is, do you actually love this industry? Do you love helping people? If that is the case, you will succeed. You can't not you can't not succeed
1: if if those two things are true. Love it. All right, Mike. So what do you got coming up in the next uh, year or so? Any, any new plans you're going to take over the world or what? (laughs) Well, we just, I, I referenced them earlier, but we just signed on with two new equity
2: partners. They're the owners of the other two Pex gyms. So they're like official owners in the business now, which is pretty cool. Uh, We're looking to open up our fourth location always. So if anyone out there has a, a town or a, or an open space where they think a pecs would be awesome in their neighborhood let us know and uh, we're also working on developing a, a development program for coaches who have no clients who may might be coming fresh out of school and a mentorship program for coaches who are transitioning from other facilities and want to come over to ours where they can kind of get up and going faster under the supervision of a coach who has been
0: in our industry for a while that's awesome Love stuff. Him. Well, it's uh, definitely a refreshing approach. You, you know, you know, Mike and I, I've been, I'm on year 25, Mike's on just about 20 and we've, we've kind of seen it all, but we don't see enough of uh, the good guys like yourself who are doing it the right way. And Thanks, uh, so it's, it. it, it, it's, it's really good to see. So Perry, unless you got any last comments or is this where it goes off uh, the rail with, with Chauda and, and Sam Adams? And- <laughs> I think we're good.
1: It's always good to see this guy's face. It's uh funny, you know, he talks about like, you know, unclogging drains. And I, I remember one morning, like he posted something at like 4 a.m. And I was like, posted it back at like 4.40. And I'm like, dude, this is the best drain cleaner you can get. I'm like, go get this. It's like, yeah, like I have like a few buddies that like I'll text at like four or five in the morning and they're all business owners. And mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, you're the only one that's up right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now he's he, he's a madman. He'll do it all. But uh, thanks for coming, Mike. It's good to see your face, bud.
0: I really appreciate you guys having me, honestly. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll always thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets, as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the principles of program design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogrammedesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.